0: Greetings, everybody. You're listening to the Lane Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 261. So in today's episode, Atomus releases the long-awaited Sumo 19 SE. The Australian company has updated their 19-inch display after five years, essentially bringing it in line with today's tech. When I reviewed the original Atomus Sumo, I thought it was a great tool on set. In fact, I recommended it for HDR as it was the cheapest option available. This was partly because it didn't have a true 10-bit HDR display. It housed an 8 plus 2-bit FRC display. In short, it would work for HDR monitoring on set, but wouldn't compete with higher-end monitors. Since then, Atomus has released their Neon series. These monitors do have full 10-bit HDR display, and the cost is decently higher. They're not perfect, but they get the job done. So it's refreshing to see the new Atomos Sumo 19-inch SE actually comes with a uh, 10-bit, 1,200-nit HDR display. On top of this, the recording element is now able to handle 6K ProRes RAW. That's a pretty nice spec bump, if you ask me. I felt that this monitor was great for transporting. After all, it's rugged and just the right size. However, it's too small to edit with, which is why Atomus' Neo, Neon 24-inch is probably the better bet. It seems that Atomus is having trouble stocking the Neon in larger sizes right now. Perhaps we'll also be seeing a worthy update to these monitors. Either way, I'm glad the Sumo is getting the love it deserves. It's a pity that it doesn't directly integrate with Atomus' Connect system, which integrates with Frame.io. Perhaps that will be saved from the Neon series refresh. The new monitor can be picked up for $2,000. This is $500 cheaper than the Neon 17 inch, So it's not a bad deal if the monitor turns out to be comparable. Uh, This story is from F-Stopper. So, yes, I did not test the the previous model out myself. I just wanted to let you know that. So this is interesting. I didn't realize, in all honesty, that Atomus actually made displays that were quite so large. I'm more familiar with their 5-inch uh recorders the ninja series um and i didn't know that they had a 19-inch model at all let alone 17 and 24 so definitely some intriguing developments from atomus they do make fantastic products and if the screenshots are, are photos or photos are anything to go by this looks like it's going to be a worthy update for those of you that have been waiting for a new version of an atomus 19-inch display Next up, Luminar Neo is going modular. There's good news and bad news. Were you wanting to do some HDR work in Luminar Neo? It's about to be offered as a paid extension. HDR Merge compiles multiple exposure bracketed images into a single HDR image. It can merge up to 10 photos and deliver an increased level of color enhancement, making the final result look as close as possible to what the eye sees. HDR Merge is scheduled to be released on July 28th, and the pre-order starts today. Now, HDR is nothing new. Photographers have been bracketing photos for years, and its star has faded a bit over the years as cameras have offered increased dynamic range. It's still a big deal for real estate photographers, and landscape photographers still use it in extreme lighting conditions. Skylum offered their own HDR software for many years called Aurora. It's discontinued now, so the timing is good for photographers who want to do HDR. What is the HDR merge extension for? If your camera does not have a high dynamic range, one technique to compensate for this is to take multiple exposure bracketed images. That's where HDR merge can help, merging up to 10 images into a single HDR photo. Skylum claims Luminar Neo's HDR merge doesn't produce halos or artifacts. Plus, with the help of intelligent technologies, Luminar artists can create HDR images even from a single photo with no brackets needed. Artificial intelligence allows for the highest quality of bracketed merging and spectacular levels of color enhancement. What is unique about Luminar Neo's HDR merge is that it can be combined with Luminar Neo's other tools to create spectacular photos. After merging brackets, artists have a full arsenal of AI-based tools at their disposal. You can enhance with one slider, fix colors and toning, add glow, play with super contrast, add realistic sun rays, or vivid foliage. Luminar Neo gives uh, photo artists the power to achieve the best HDR photos and go beyond in their editing all in one app. Now, I was the user of Aurora some years ago and thought it did a nice job. There was more flexibility than the HDR tools I had in Lightroom, but I thought a lot of HDR was overdone for my taste and slowly lost interest in using HDR for landscapes. Now, the downside... I do use and like Skylum tools, and I think the Luminar series has been a great leap forward for photographers with the addition of AI tools that can speed up workflow. For example, Luminar Neo has world-class sky replacement tools, which other companies are rushing to duplicate. There are also intelligent masking and powerful tools for portraits. Still... The addition of extensions seems like an excuse to grab more money in a product that has been struggling to finish all the features that were promised. It's sad to see Skylum worrying about HDR when Neo is still waiting for things like dodge and burn and cloning tools. Things I use on almost every image. And while they were in the last version of Luminar, they are absent in Luminar Neo. The troubling knifing of products like the original Luminar and its replacement with Neo forced owners to buy again, even though there were significant discounts. Skylum is now offering subscriptions to Neo, and that will send chills down the necks of some photographers who were happy with Adobe subscriptions. The Neo software, which was built to be easily Easily extensible is a good thing, but it will be tempting for Skylum to add new features this way, charging for every one of them. I would have liked to see this HDR extension sent to all owners of Aurora and Neo for free as an introduction to this advanced architecture. In the future, I'd love to see things like panorama assembly and photo enlargement features, all as part of the basic purchase. So, getting the HDR merge extension. Well, the Merge extension pre-order starts today on July 15th, which would have been yesterday, of course. The release is scheduled for July 28th, 2022. But Luminar owners can pre-order HDR Merge now for a better price. Aurora HDR owners will get the opportunity to buy Luminar Neo with a loyalty discount and receive the HDR Merge extension for free. Additionally, Skyline customers with Luminar Neo subscriptions will get the Aurora HDR Merge extension for free. Otherwise, you'll shell out for it again. You can get the details at this link in this article in the show notes for today's episode. Luminar Neo will also be available in the Microsoft and Apple App Stores. I'm happy to see Luminar Neo is extensible, but I foresee a lot of paid updates in the future, which I think goes against some of the original goals of Skyline. I want them to succeed and prosper. They are nice people and innovative Their coders are working in the Ukraine under horrible conditions, but still, finish Neo before you extend it. I have an advanced copy of the HDR merge extension. Soon we'll share my thoughts when I've had a chance to use it. Now, again, this story is from F-stoppers. I have not received my advanced copy of the Luminar Neo HDR extension as of yet. I should be getting one because I've been a customer of theirs for a long time, and they generally always sent me, beta versions of the new software to try out and give my feedback on, but we'll have to wait and see if they do it for the HDR merge extension. Now, I do agree with Mel Martin, the person that wrote this article on F-stoppers. I think it's a bad idea for Luminar to be more concerned with adding on paid extensions when they haven't fully fleshed out Luminar Neo as a software yet. They should have been concentrating on the other features that Mel talked about in his article instead of worrying about grabbing more dollars as quickly as they could. But again, that's my opinion. They are a good group of folks, and I wish them the best during this horrible situation in Ukraine. Next up, TT Artisan's new 50 millimeter F2 full frame lens costs only $69. T.T. Artisan has announced a new 50mm F2 full-frame manual focus lens, though not the fastest nifty-fifty in the company arsenal. The standard focal length lens has a natural viewing angle, and the company says it has a fast enough aperture to provide high performance and low light. The 50mm F2 is constructed of six elements organized in five groups with two high refraction index elements to control spherical aberration. This portrait-length lens is also completely manual with a minimum focusing distance of 19.69 inches or 50 centimeters. The manual aperture iris is a 10-bladed diaphragm, which T.T. Artisan says translates to a smooth and circular bokeh. It also features a clicked aperture ring that has full-stop markers from f2 to f16. By the numbers, the angle of view of the 50mm F2 is 45 degrees for full-frame cameras and 32 degrees for APS-C cameras. According to TT Artisan, the viewing angle is so close to that of the human eye that it produces neither too much deformation nor too compressed space in the focal length. Described as extremely compact and lightweight, the TT Artisan 50mm F2 full-frame lens is 60mm wide and 35mm deep and weighs around 7.05 ounces or 200 grams, making it easy to add to anyone's camera bag for those natural-looking candids and portraits. The lens also has a 43-millimeter filter thread. The lens is designed to fit on multiple platforms, including DSLRs and mirrorless cameras, and is currently in stock for Nikon Z, Fujifilm X, Canon M, and Micro Four Thirds mounts. T.T. Artisans is also taking pre-orders for Sony E, like L and Canon RF mounts. The lens also comes with front and rear caps, a manual, a warranty card, and an old-school-style sturdy storage box. T.T. Artisans states that the RF and L mount lenses will be processed on July 28, while the pre-order for e mount, uh, e mount orders will be processed on July 22. The other mounts are in the normal delivery time period, Perhaps the most standout feature of the lens is the price. It retails for just $69 or $75 with a 43-millimeter lens hood. Although the company provides regular discounts that will bring the optic down even lower in the price. So this is definitely some exciting news. I know 50 millimeters is hands down one of the most popular focal lengths, as stated in this article from Petapixel, which is used by a lot of folks for portraits and candid shots. And it does look like it's very well-constructed. Uh, The images, which you can find in this article in the show notes, are very detailed close-ups of the lens, and the design and materials look to be top-notch. So it looks like T.T. Artisans will likely have another home run in their lineup. 50 insane facts about the Apollo 11 lunar photo shoot. As part of an ongoing historical photography series, science-based photographer and YouTuber Michael the Maven Andrew has released a video detailing 50 facts about the planning and execution of the Apollo 11 lunar mission and subsequent photo shoot. In the incredibly detailed 22-minute video that covers a huge amount of the historic photography facts of the 1969 mission to the moon, and your comments on how initially photography was just something that the astronauts did, recreating and for themselves. It wasn't until after astronauts like John Glenn, who modified an autofocusing camera, found that a thrift shot to work with the big gloves that photography became an integral part of the scientific research astronauts did on their missions with the Apollo space program. In the time following this Adoption, thousands of images were taken by probes and astronauts that documented everything from fun images inside the ships to breathtaking views of the Earth and Luna, all the way to how a footprint leaves its mark on the otherwise undisturbed surface of the moon. One of the early and impressive facts is how nearly 100,000 images were taken by unmanned probes that often crashed into the surface of the moon. Considering that digital photography was still decades away from becoming a reality, it's quite impressive to think about how NASA had built systems to develop the film used in the probe, scan the resulting images, and then basically radioed the images back to mission control on Earth for viewing and analysis. When the astronauts took cameras with them, the Hasselblad 500EL was the camera of choice. Typically, these systems had a manual crank for film advancing, but Hasselblad then developed a special electronic film advancing unit to help ensure that there wouldn't be any problems with loading, unloading, advancing, and rewinding the film in the cameras. While it added a little weight to the system, it eliminated many headaches the astronauts faced handling the film while on a mission away from Earth. On this particular mission, command module pilot Michael Collins remained in lunar orbit. Armstrong and lunar module pilot Edwin Buzz Aldrin descended to the surface and spent two and a half hours on the moon in the Sea of Tranquility, setting up experiments, gathering samples, and taking photographs every step of the way. Andrew says his last big astonishing fact about the Apollo 11 landing and all the images taken by NASA cannot be copyrighted and therefore are in the public domain available for everyone to view and marvel over. Be sure to watch the rest of the video from Michael's to see more interesting facts about these missions, including details on the cameras, lenses, and even film chemistries used to capture these incredible shots. To see more of Andrew's videos, visit his YouTube channel and his website. So it is cool to see that somebody did put out this uh, this documentary-style video on the Apollo 11 lunar photo shoot. I haven't had a chance to watch the video yet myself, but I do have it earmarked to watch later on today. And if I find anything even more intriguing, I'll talk about it a little bit more on next Sunday's episode. And with that, I'm going to take a break right here, and then I'll be right back. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the Liam Photography Podcast. The best way to support the show is to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else that you get your podcasts. If you want to leave comments or suggestions for future episodes, you can call or text the show at area code 470-294-8191. And you can email the show at Liam at Liam You can find the show notes and links at Liam Photography And you can tweet the show at Liam Photo using the hashtag Liam Photo Podcast. And now back to the show. All right, now let's head over to the rumor side of things for this week. News and rumors from the rumor sites. <laughs> First up, here are the Canon RF 24mm F1.8 macro IS STM and the Canon RF 15 to 30 F45 63 IS STM. Canon will announce the long rumored lenses, and let's see here shortly. Here are the specifications and some images of the new affordable lenses for the RF mount. The Canon RF 15 to 30 F45 to 63 IS STM. Lens configuration, 13 elements in 11 groups. Shortest shooting distance is 0.16 meters. Maximum shooting magnification is 0.5 times. Image stabilization, 5.5 stops, 7 steps when coordinated with the IBIS, or IBIS, I'm sorry, (laughs) Uh, filter diameter is 67 millimeters with a size of 76.6 by 88.4 millimeters for the lens itself. Weight is 390 grams. Now for the Canon RF 24 millimeter F1.8 macro ISSTM. Lens configuration, 11 elements in nine groups. Shortest shooting distance is 0.14 meters. Maximum shooting magnification is 0.5 times. Image stabilization, five steps, or 6.5 when coordinated. Filter diameter is 52 millimeters, size of 74.4 by 63.1 millimeters for the weight of 270 grams. And there are some accompanying photos in this article in the show notes that you can look at for yourself. And they do look like very nice lenses. I think they're going to be popular additions to the RF lineup because these will be less expensive lenses. These are, again, from the silver band lineup of Canon RF lenses, which are more affordable and geared more towards consumers and hobbyist photographers. Breaking Fujifilm X-H2 and Fujifilm X-T5 coming with new lower base ISO, less than 160 Multiple trusted sources have reported to us that the 40-megapixel non-stacked Fujifilm X-H2 will have a lower base ISO than the current Fujifilm models, including the Fujifilm X-H2S, which still has ISO 160 as its lowest native value. I was always of the opinion that a lower base ISO should be a top priority for Fujifilm, so this rumor makes me particularly happy. And what does this mean for the Fujifilm X-25? Well, our trusted source also told us that the Fujifilm XT5 will have the non stacked 40 megapixel sensor, so we can safely assume that also the Fujifilm XT5 will have the new lower base ISO. But to be clear, that is a logical conclusion I make based on the current XH2 XT5 rumors and not something the source told me explicitly. And what about the other future Fujifilm cameras? Now, Fujifilm has stated that except for the Fujifilm X-H line, which has both sensor options, all other camera lines will either get the stacked 26-megapixel or the 40-megapixel non-stacked sensor. And since I don't have information on which sensor the surveying or surviving X-cameras will get, hence the Fujifilm X-Pro 4, X-E5, X-S20, X-T40, and X-100B successor. I can't say which line will profit from the lower base ISO. I have conflicting reports until now on which, of the, which the new base ISO value will be, but I am working to figure it out. I hope that very shortly I can give you a precise value. So for now, we'll have to wait and see. And I do agree with Patrick from Fuji rumors. I always thought it was kind of odd that Fuji's lowest base ISO was 160 when on most other cameras it's 100 Uh, Some of them, I think uh, Nikon, I think their base ISO at one time was 200, or maybe I got that backwards. Maybe it was Canon that was 200 as the base ISO on their consumer cameras, and then 100 on their ProSumer and Pro bodies. But either way, I personally always set the expanded when I was shooting Canon. I'd I'd set the expanded ISO range so I could shoot at ISO 50. Because, hey, the lower the ISO, the better, at least in my opinion. Next up, in stock, Fujifilm X-H2S and the XF-150-600 at Five Six Eight 8 at Adorama. If you're looking for this combo, then you should know that Adorama has them both in stock and ready to ship. You can get the Fujifilm X-H2S at this link in the article in the show notes and the XF-150-600 as well. Now the Fujifilm XH2S is two thousand four hundred ninety nine dollars, and the one fifty to six hundred is one thousand nine hundred and ninety nine dollars. You can order at B Photo, Amazon US, Adorama, Moment, and Focus Camera for the XH2S for the one fifty to six hundred BH Photo, Amazon US, Adorama, Moment, and Focus Camera, and the XF eighteen to one twenty f four B and Photo, Amazon US, Adorama, Moment, and Focus Camera. However, I can only confirm as of this article that Adirondi is the only one that currently has both in stock and ready to ship. But I'm not saying that's gospel. That's based on this article from Fuji Rangers. And last up, leaked images. New Tokina 11-18mm to f2.8 autofocus APS-C e-mount lens will be on the market around September. I just received these two images showing a new Tokina lens. This will be the first Tokina wide zoom autofocus lens for the Sony APS-C. It's a an 11 to 18 millimeter f 2.8. The size is extremely compact, likely the same as Tamron's 11 to 20 f 2.8, or maybe a little bit smaller. The filter size might also be 67 millimeters. On the backside, micro-USB ports can be seen, presumably for firmware updates by end users. There is no information about retail pricing yet, but the lens should be on the market in September. So stay tuned to Sony Alpha Rumors for more information as it becomes available. And that's going to wrap up all the news and rumors for this week. All right, that's going to wrap episode 261 of the Liam Photography Podcast. I want to thank all of my listeners once again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you might be getting your podcast. Also, wanted to remind you to stop by the Liam Photography YouTube channel. Subscribe to the channel, watch the videos, like them, comment on them, hit the little bell icon so you can be notified as new content drops, and I will see you all again on Thursday.